0: Hello and welcome to the Interfish Podcast, where we bring you the most interesting and compelling seafood news. I'm Drew Cherry, Editor-in-Chief, joined today by Executive Editor John Fiorillo. We're going to look at just a couple of stories this week. It's been another busy one in seafood, but I think on everyone's minds globally is inflation and what inflation is going to mean for our personal finances and businesses and uh, and and, uh, and everything, um, in, in addition to the uh, looming specter of uh, of a recession, so there's a lot of worry about how this is going to impact future seafood sales, uh, how it's going to impact mergers and acquisitions, investments has a lot of implications. But down at the very bottom of all this, ultimately in the seafood industry, there is somebody. Putting a food into their mouth, and they are purchasing something from a menu at a restaurant, or they're in a retail store, uh, and uh, and and where they put their money uh, is going to dictate how things go in the sector. So, John, you've been writing quite a bit about this, um, and uh, last week you reported on some of the latest statistics that had come out on uh, on retail sales and. Uh, on food service. Um, Give us a sense of kind of where things might be headed. Uh, Why don't we talk a little bit about food service first? Because, you know, I think there's been a feeling there has been some recovery uh, since COVID um, and people have wanted to bounce back, pull out their wallets and, uh, and go out to eat. But the new stats maybe raise some questions about that.
1: Yeah, no, you're entirely correct. There has been a, a, a good bounce back uh, at food service, uh, understandably so, given, you know, 2020 was pretty much closed down, 2021 was kind of up and down a little bit, but uh, especially towards the end of 21, uh, the recovery really gained momentum and it carried into this year. But um, by June, things started to uh, weaken, uh, largely because of food inflation and inflation across a lot of consumer products. Uh, Roger O'Brien, CEO of of, uh, Santa Monica Seafood in California, told me um, that, yeah, the first half of the year was, was excellent for them for the most part. But in July, things started to... Uh, recede, and now when you look at all the economic indicators out there, it looks like the second half of the year will be a tough one for food, food in general, but uh, for um, for food service operators, and uh, vis-a-vis uh, that implies that seafood may have trouble as well um you know it's a consumer confidence thing a lot more than anything else but obviously you know consumers don't feel super confident right now um uh, a measure of how they expect um the economy and their personal finances to go um is at a very low level it it really uh Decreased sharply in June, and um, it's uh, lowest level since March 2013. So that just suggests that consumers are, you know, going to rein in their spending until they feel a little more um, assured that their personal finances are are going to be okay and the overall economy is going to be good. So, um, yeah, short story on food service: first half good. Uh, Second half uh, looks a little troublesome.
0: So, okay. Now, um, for those that don't know, uh, seafood is extremely important at food service in the U.S. Um, Globally, it is, um, but especially in the U.S. So where food service goes, um, sometimes there goes the the rest of, of the industry. It's an indicator, too, of just how people feel about Uh, seafood and purchasing so it's not necessarily john uh correct me if i'm wrong that because you're going to a restaurant less you're going to automatically go buy that that food at retail
1: no that's that's not the case at all um in fact you know food service has always been a really strong place for consumption of seafood as opposed to retail um and we know all the reasons but um you know, people go to a restaurant, sometimes special occasion, but a lot of times when it comes to seafood, they just trust that it'll be prepared correctly there. So that's, that's why they choose seafood when they go to a restaurant. And it's also important to keep in mind that, uh, a lot of seafood is sold not necessarily through the chains, although that is, that is a, a big, Component, but a lot of the independent restaurants they tend to be a little higher end, a little uh, you know fancier, and men- menus in those places tend to have um, seafood as a feature. So we've lost roughly seventy 000 to hundred thousand of those types of restaurants. Um, so um, you know there, there there's a lot of rebuilding that has to happen, and again good news was it, it, it has been happening uh, at least through you know the first half of this year hopefully this is just a little slow down given the bigger macroeconomic problems out there right now uh, and not some sort of you know deep uh, slump that w- we enter in uh, like we did in 2020.
0: Right. And and retail is also kind of um, troubled as well, um, both in, in the UK, uh, other parts of Europe, and in the US. Um, and one of the things that, that we're seeing in the statistics is that people are moving away from brands uh, and toward private label more, or store brand, as it's uh, more commonly referred to in, in the UK, and um, And, you know, you walk into uh, any retail outlet and you're going to typically see that there's a store brand, a private label, where you can um, find a, a product typically cheaper right next to a brand. And one of the behaviors that is a pretty classic in a, in a recession or when inflation uh, begins to rise is a move toward private labels. So our colleague John Evans wrote a story on this. It was really fascinating to, to uh, read some of the stats on the behavior. Um, one study in France found that uh, 78% of French consumers uh, abandoned mainstream brands in favor of private label uh, over the past year. And I, I find that that is a stunning, uh, a stunning, stunning statistic. No, that's not all brands. it's not everything that they're doing or shopping. They're just saying that some of the brands they used to purchase, they're now moving toward private label brands. But that's a, another very interesting trend, um, and and it just indicates again that there the inflation is beginning to make consumers a little uh, a little careful about their choices at retail as well. Um, and and John, I mean, what's your take then on the retail side of things from the U.S.? Um, the latest numbers are pretty ugly.
1: Yeah, well, I'll go there in a sec, but let me just, to your point you just made, this this exactly happened to me the other day. So I went to the grocery store and I wanted some frozen Patagonia uh, red shrimp. And uh, in the case, they had uh, basically two options. One was a branded one, a seafood company we all know, I'm not going to name it. The other was the store brand. There was a difference of I don't even remember now, but I want to say it was a dollar or maybe maybe two at the most, and there was no doubt in my mind which one I was going to take. The the, the, the packages were basically the same, the weight and all that, but I was just like, oh, I can save two dollars. I I don't I don't care about the store brand necessarily, like it's not. Oh, I'm going to always take them. But in that particular case, at this particular time when money's getting tighter, it was a no-brainer. So i just throw that out there. Now, back to the question in the U.S. Um, basically, what's happened, uh, we had um, the research firm 210 Analytics uh, do some first half of the year numbers for us. And what you see is, uh, seafood sales at retail have basically returned on a volume basis, which to me is the more important measurement. On a volume basis, has re- uh, sales have returned to pre-COVID levels, basically 2019 levels. So we made massive gains over the last uh, year and a half. We've given all those back. Now on a dollar measure, if you measure by dollars, it's higher. It's significantly higher, but most of that is probably um, the inflationary um, um, number, you know, spike of the numbers. <clears throat> the other thing that is really, and I'm starting to notice it more and more in, where I shop, in the stores I shop, is the variety, because of supply chain problems. Uh, inflation, all these factors that we we've been writing about, shipping, blah blah blah. Um, the variety of seafood in the in not only the fresh case but in the frozen areas has really been pared down. The number of SKUs has been pared down. The number of products has been pared down. If you ever want to just see it in for your own eyes, just go look at um, smoked seafood, for example. Uh, smoked salmon. I mean, the, <laughs> it wasn't that long ago that there were, you know, <laughs> 20 skews of all different brands and da-da-da. Uh, they're down to, like, where I shop. They're down to, like, five. Um, and uh, some are store, some are private brands. But So now we're getting this situation where seafood is is being pared down within the stores themselves less variety and that that's a little troublesome we'll see where that goes um uh but yeah you know i don't want the seafood category to become shrimp and salmon Mm, you know not much besides that but that is kind of what's happening
0: yeah, um, I I think it's inevitable. That's a that's a topic for another podcast. But I think it's inevitable that we're going to see that more and more. And I, I've seen it as well that a, a lot of grocery stores. Uh, I was in uh, in Europe last month, and same you see a, a much uh, a much smaller variety, um, even in you know in France, for example, where they're very very proud of their kind of uh, beautiful fresh fish displays, where a part of the culture and a part of the way to draw in consumers has traditionally been to showcase a variety of species um, to just show your range and kind of show this abundance of the sea, I guess. Um, and at the Fresh Fish Counters I went to, I went to several stores and I, I, I saw a very different uh, different presentation than I'd seen in years past. And it was a much uh, more limited variety. There was still more variety than you would see, for example, in the UK or in the United States, um, or or Norway, or or you know other other northern European countries. But um, but still, it was it was markedly uh, more narrow. And so I think that does speak to what you're talking about, John, as um, not only from a, a price perspective, but also just from a store. Uh, a store uh, stocking perspective, I think there's limitations now on what people are willing to gamble on a bit at retail. I think people, um, we've seen this certainly in our reporting on the salmon industry that buyers are much more careful about entering, especially on, on the spot market when they're kind of trading fish regularly, they are much more careful about having a, uh, a, a, a customer on the end of the chain before they actually make a purchase, so we're not seeing a lot of, um, you know, a, a lot of sort of gambling on uh, on different kinds of species. People are really going for the ones that they can bank on, and and I think that's, uh, yeah, that that kind of moves us into our next topic. But before we go there, uh, I just wanted to loop back around to um, to the private label um, piece of things because I that is. I um, have some inst- interesting statistics here from Seafish, uh, the UK, it represents the UK seafood industry, um, and they have some fantastic statistics, uh, retail um, analysis. And Aldi and Lidl, uh, the two best known discounters, uh, their share, uh, overall share of, of seafood um, through uh, the end of June versus the, uh, the 52 weeks of the end of June versus the years, the two years prior. So, yeah. So if you look back a year through June and two years through June. So uh, Aldi has grown its market share, its total trade in fish by 1.2%. Lidl, even more than that, uh, by nearly one point, uh, Sorry, by one nearly one point four percent, and so that just shows consumers are turning much more to those types of discounters. And as you would expect, you're seeing uh, larger uh, retailers that control the majority of the seafood sales in the UK, Tesco and Sainsbury's. Their share has kind of slipped. Um, so anyway it's just an you know again another interesting sign another interesting indicator that uh, inflation is is beginning to uh, have an effect on consumer behavior now one fish that does seem to be immune to whatever you can throw at it is salmon um, now uh, farm salmon has taken its slings and arrows over the years and you um, Wow. Uh, In the past two decades of reporting on it, there have been more scandals than I can even count. More uh, negative uh, scientific reports, uh, documentaries, uh, newspaper stories, uh, podcasts, and not just ours. There's been a lot of criticism leveled at the salmon farming industry uh, over the years. And... You know, salmon has continued to grow and grow and grow in consumption. And people, as of now, have been willing to pay uh, a very high price for it, especially compared to other proteins. Now, a new book has come out, and this is kind of what the industry has been uh, all uh, excited about over the past Few days. The book is called Salmon Wars The Dark Underbelly of Our Favorite Fish. It's by Douglas France and Catherine Collins. Uh, They, I believe, uh, France won a Pulitzer Prize, I believe, maybe they both have, um, for reporting. Uh, He was, I believe, an editor at the Los Angeles Times. I'll have to look more closely to his. Uh, bio, but at any rate, the book, uh, a major publisher has put it out, um, and it went on sale, I guess, a couple of weeks ago. Um, Now, it is interesting. I have not had time to read it, uh, and so before I can get too much into criticizing the details of the book, I have to read it. The last thing I want to do at the end of my day of writing about fish is reading a book about fish. Uh, but, but I, I will, I will eventually get around to reading it. Um, now I read, uh, some of the excerpts and more importantly, I read the, uh, I read the opinion piece that the two authors put out in time, uh, magazine or on time.com kind of outlying in general, their case against, uh, against farm salmon. Um, and it was kind of a greatest hits of the criticism that's leveled against uh, the salmon farming industry. Um, and I guess, you know, John, you and I were talking about whether or not this would have any effect. Um, a couple of years ago, a year and a half ago now, the uh, documentary Seaspiracy, uh, I'm sure a lot of our listeners would remember, um, caused a major stir. Um, it was, of course... Different, I guess, in the sense that the medium was different. Uh, It was more easy to to share. uh, Much more savvy marketing campaign. This is a book. um, Far fewer people read books than uh, can sit down and watch a documentary. Um, But, uh, John, let's start talking about whether or not you think this will have any effect um, and, and whether or not what you read in their opinion piece about um, their description of what the book was about and why they they wrote it, whether whether you think there's um, anything new, fresh, or of merit in there.
1: Okay, well, um, when uh, let's talk about their motivation first. Um, and yes, he, he he shares a Pulitzer Prize uh, award, so um, you know credentials are there. Um, so in an op-ed they did in Canada's Globe and Mail, this was uh, a month or maybe a little longer ago, they uh, they said they were inspired to write on this subject after attending public meetings uh, several years ago near their home in Nova Scotia concerning Surmax uh, plans to expand operations there. And um, so if I read between the lines there they really didn't want any more salmon farming in their uh quote unquote neighborhood let's say so sounds pretty nimby to me but i'll go i'll go on now from there as far as its impact um I agree with you. I don't see it as having the reach or the power of something like Seaspiracy. Again, like you said, it's a book. You're going to have to go online. You're going to have to drop, I don't know how much it costs. I'll just say $10. I have no idea. Whatever it is, you have to drop that, get it shipped to you, blah, 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 blah. Well, there you go. Books have gone up since I bought one. Now, with that said, uh, the industry has responded strongly. I think uh, in in a correct manner, and the industry has to be vigilant at all times against stuff like this. Because um, you wrote something oh, several years ago now, uh, when tilapia started getting bashed and uh, on on the internet, and it took a life of its own. Well, tilapia sales crashed in the U S and there's a direct correlation. Um, they've recovered since, but you know, these things can take on a life of their own. I don't think this will, um, it doesn't seem like it was done very well or, um, brings anything new to the table. And as you mentioned, consumers, you know, salmon has become chicken for consumers. It's, it's on their lists. They buy it every week or every other week. Um, It's going to take a lot to rock them out of the boat, I would think. In my opinion,
0: yeah. I mean, it's as I said, just in looking at the kind of what some of the assertions are about the industry, um, there really isn't much uh, new. They, you know, they get in a little bit to the the industry itself. Um which is is kind of interesting in particular, as you mentioned Surmac uh, and they, they highlight cook as well, and so they did a lot of a background on the salmon farming industry itself, nothing I think that's been hasn't been reported out there already um but you know when you have and I guess this speaks to 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 kind of a larger disappointment that I have in general with uh with press coverage um and I mean you know, physician, heal thyself, you know, I'm a journalist, this is what we do for a living. Um, but, uh, and, and we make all kinds of mistakes, of course. Um, that's journalism, is, uh, is it's not an easy job, uh, and it's not easy to get every single detail correct. However, you do need to do your due diligence, you do need to check your facts, you do need to do the work if you want to have credibility. Um, and when you make mistakes, you need to come out and, and, uh, and correct yourself. Um, what is confusing to me is, uh, and especially with somebody uh, or two people that are so clearly talented, you don't you don't work at those publications and win those types of awards if you're not uh, extremely talented and hardworking and a good researcher. Uh, you know, you just you just don't, or one would think that you don't. But the statistics that are regurgitated here. Uh, there, there. Many of them have been straight out disproven, uh, or at least they've come into to big, big question. Um, and it it just is. Um, it's disappointing to me that I'm more than happy to read critical uh, critical books or see critical films about the seafood industry. We cover it objectively. It's it's an industry that we are. I would argue harder on than probably most. Um, But when you're throwing uh, out accusations that are, or facts that have been disproven or that are extremely um, uh, biased, or the sources have an axe to grind. That's disappointing. There's plenty of if you do the research. There's plenty of things that you can look at the seafood industry and you can uh, criticize and you can uh, point to ways that it needs to improve and point to uh, point to problems and challenges. But it's lazy to me to pull out some of these statistics that have been already disproven, and that, that to me is a disappointment. And I, I just see that regularly in the coverage of the seafood industry. Again, there is plenty to criticize in the seafood industry, in the fishing and aquaculture industry. There's a lot, but if you're going to do it uh, and you're going to take the time to write a book about it, do some fact-checking. Make sure that you're actually going in and reading about these industries more carefully. So, that's number one. Uh, that's the the issue that I that I took with uh, with the op ed that they wrote about it uh, and the excerpts that I read. Um, now, as to whether or not it will have an impact on uh, on sales or consumption, um, uh, I agree with you, John. That the answer is absolutely not. Um, you know why is it different than tilapia? Um, why is it different than maybe some other uh, food scares? Uh, I think there was one blurb that compared it to the McDonald's um, expose uh, fast food nation, um, which, uh, I, well, again, I'm going to have to read it, but I can tell just already from what I have read, the writing is is not as compelling as Schlosser's fast food nation. And it's not going to be near enough to uncover uh, that there was in that book. But, um, but I think that, um, I think that it's, it's, uh, it's going to be very difficult for any single, uh, book, uh, or even any single documentary to really knock salmon off its perch any more than you could knock uh, chicken or beef off their perches with one single book. And I don't really know that this would even lead to any change necessarily, Um, because I don't, again, I don't see, uh, anything in, in their, uh, description of what they're trying to do. Um, I don't see any sort of solution that they're offering beyond don't eat farmed salmon. Um, which, you know, I just don't think people are going to stop doing that.
1: Well, you know, the other, (laughs) I agree with all that. The other thing I will say is, you know th- these are old you know retread tales and complaints about uh aqua salmon, aquaculture for example sea lice we'll just take that one for example yeah. whenever i see these stories these critical stories or analyses or in this case a book i'm always struck by how there's no in- <laughs> there's no information at all about all of the things being done to mitigate, say, sea lice or disease, or all the investment that salmon farm farming companies have made and are continually making to solve the challenges that so many people want to, you know, point out—never a mention of that. I mean, anybody who reads the page, reads our our stuff knows these salmon farm companies are, are investing hundreds of millions in aggregate for closed containment research, RAS, you know, moves that will address the problems that have been out there but are not like they used to be, so... I, I if I don't if I'm reading something like this and I don't see that element in it I you know, pretty much move on to the comic page or something else you know so
0: well I mean I I think too just like you were saying um, Roger O'Brien was mentioning too that you know um, salmon is a bellwether now that as goes salmon goes you know the rest of the uh, seafood consumption and it it really is. Um, it really is a species that you're, you're, you're not seeing people moving away from in, by any stretch of the imagination. So just taking the U.S., for example, um, in 2018, uh, consumers were eating 2.55 pounds of seafood per capita in the United States. And in 2020, uh, that was already up to 2.83 uh, pounds. Going straight up, if you look at imports, let's look at imports into the United States uh, in 2021, uh, st- just strictly uh, fresh farm salmon fillets. The amount of uh, volume that came into the United States was uh, 193,000 metric tons worth $2.4 billion. That's just just fillets. So that's not something that's going to go away uh, overnight. And this is, uh, this is a very sophisticated industry that's behind it. Um, that's supplying it and they're beholden to a lot of buyers that uh, are purchasing that fish so there's a lot of standards that companies have to meet to get their fish into uh, into any of these uh, western countries uh, or eastern countries um, to get onto people's uh, onto people's plates and so I think that part of it too um, you know not apologizing for the industry but just pointing out that, uh, it's not unregulated by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, and there are plenty of groups, uh, both eh, not just industry, but NGOs, uh, retail, food service, major companies um, that uh, that have banked their sustainability policy oftentimes on uh, their farm salmon purchasing policy. Um, there was some comparisons with the chicken and, and beef uh, segment uh, in salmon wars, and one of them was uh, had to do with the um, with the amount of antibiotics that were used. Of course, in Norway, there are no antibiotics used in farm salmon. Uh, in Chile, they are there are uh, they've made efforts to reduce that. Um, but again, when you're painting with a wide brush, I mean, if you're saying that, uh, that the net pens are awash with, uh, antibiotics, well, be specific and say that if you want to use the word awash, you know, you're trying to get a, a rise fine. If you have an opinion on something, you can use that word. Absolutely. But say it about the country that's actually having, uh, actually using the stuff. So um, it's it's little uh, little hair splitting things like that um, that ultimately were um, kind of bothersome to me, but. Um, but it, it just hair, doesn't hair seem,
1: splitting. you mean details,
0: <laughs> <laughs> detail facts, isn't that what they're called? Facts. But, uh, I
1: hear those are important once in a while. That's what I hear.
0: Once in a while. Yeah. So, yeah. So I, I think it's, uh, it, the industry has come out kind of strongly. The, the global seafood Alliance had, um, had some, uh, refuted some of the facts, uh, and several other groups as well. Um, we thought it was interesting. We wrote a, a note about the uh, about the book uh, being published, um, and let the industry know kind of what it's uh, what the angle was of the book. But um, but in general, I don't feel like this quite has the same uh, legs as uh, some of the other um, some of the other things that have been written about the industry or uh, filmed about the industry. So I guess we'll uh, we'll we'll see how it goes, but. From my point of view, uh, I don't see this having a, a big impact, but it was a, a, it definitely got uh, under my skin a little bit. Again, just from the, the point of view of, of a journalist, um, I really, really uh, want to see people, when they're criticizing something, using, uh, using facts and being accurate. that's it for this episode. We will look forward to chatting with you next time. Uh, Remember, you can find us on intrafish.com. You can sign up for our newsletters there. Uh, Our coverage is uh, on the site 24-7. You can also download our app and read our news there and get push alerts so that when we uh, report on anything of interest to you, a topic that you want to follow, you can get an alert on it so if you want to track farm salmon, uh, if you want to track disease, if you want to track sea lice, you can get an alert for that. So if you really do want to know what's happening with sea lice and the impact that it's having on salmon farming, by all means, go onto to our site, get a sea lice alert. All right, folks, we'll talk to you next time.